Hello, church. Thank you for joining our ABF online service. Well, as you know, church is much more than a service. It's a community of believers doing life together. Well, our heart in providing these online videos is to be a supplement so that it can help you grow in your walk with the Lord when you're unable to attend. But we sure would love to see you here at ABF on a Sunday morning. Well, a few things that I wanted to let you know about. First, you can text 97000 and let us know any of your confidential prayer requests. Man, we consider it a privilege to walk beside you and pray with you when things are going on in your life. So please do reach out and let us know how we can be supporting you in prayer. Well, um, there are a lot of things going on at ABF, and you can learn all about the weekly happenings and the special events going on here on our website at agorabible.org. So take a look at that and know what's going on in the community. Well, our ABF community, it is only funded from sweet people like yourself that give generously. So man, we would encourage you um, to go on our website and use the Give tab to make a donation. That would be so wonderful. And just the ongoing ministries here at ABF. Well, this is the time in our service where we get ready to hear from God and see what he wants to speak into our lives right now. So listen up. Here is God's word. Well, welcome to another online service. Thanks for joining us this week as we're working through the book of 1 Corinthians. We find ourselves in the second part of chapter 12, and we're talking about spiritual gifts, how God's wired us uniquely, our design. And uh, really, I've noticed something, kind of a trend and pattern in our world is there's a tendency for people inside and outside the church to have certain uh, areas of expertise or talents that are celebrated and then others that aren't such a big deal. Remember a couple years back, I had the opportunity to go to a Lakers game and it was kind of fascinating just seeing the, just the masses of people, 20,000 plus that are all gathering to primarily really just see LeBron James put a ball in a basket. So we're all gathered in this huge stadium just with that one intent and really seeing the competition. I mean, definitely, if I'm not belittling it, it's a, it's a fun activity. But I also, what I also remember from that evening is when we were in the upper section, we were in the upper deck where we were seated, and there was one particular lady that was a greeter, super outgoing, that made everybody that she encountered feel like a million bucks. She went out of her way to be uh, welcoming and, and just kind of a, a fun personality that kind of stuck in my mind. As I was thinking about it, at the end of that evening, I'm wondering how many people, as they reflected on the night, how many people gave thought to the exploits of LeBron James and all the things that he accomplished, all the things he did, and how many people actually considered, man, that lady was really unique. She had an innate ability to make people just feel at home. So my question for you, my question for us, as we're going into this next part of the, the section on gifting, is which of the two would you say is more important. Which of the two? Was it LeBron James 
or the greeter making people feel welcome. Here's the thing where we upset the the card a bit is in God's kingdom, in the real kingdom. I almost label this as in the upside down kingdom. I only mean that because it's opposite of the world. In God's kingdom, he would say that they're equally important, equally important. You see, in his kingdom, every person is uniquely gifted, equally important, and critical to the life of the church. You see, we all need each other. That's why we've called that this this section of scripture, bringing us to that reminder that we're not self-sufficient, we're interdependent. That's why we're in this series called Better Together. So my prayer is during this time in God's word is you'd come to some conclusions about yourself, about how value, how valuable you are, how dependent the church is on you, and how interdependent you are on others within the church, both being critical for us to understand in this topic of spiritual gifts. Let me pray before we start this next section. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to gather together just for a time to slow down and dig into your word and get a, a, a reality check when we're in a world that's swirling with what truth is and what truth isn't, to come back to what you say is true, which is the only thing that matters, is you're the one that determines truth for us. God, I pray that you'd open our eyes, that you expand our understanding, that you'd be present in this time, that you'd be great and I'd be small. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 is where we're starting and really get an illustration that he uses throughout of using a body as an example. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. All right, so what, what do we have going on here? If you think about it, he's bringing up the point, the first thing is that we're a body. He's using that as an example and bringing up the, the point that, man, there is some uniqueness in the different parts of that body. There's many parts as it describes if you enjoy what I enjoy is this idea of sometimes doing a little bit of people watching. I remember any time we're on a trip to our, an, our, our annual trip to Ocean City, New Jersey, they have this massive boardwalk uh, where tons of people in the evening just go out and walk and they've got lots of shops and uh, things to do on the boardwalk. And some of my favorite times are just sitting back, they have the benches off to the side, just observing people. There's so many unique people out there, whether it's different hair colors, eyes, nose, ears, shape, size, age, color, all of the uniqueness of what God designed is what Paul is pointing to. He's saying, hey, this is one big unique body with lots of different parts. It's not that hard to identify the many differences, which a lot of them are are pretty obvious, But what he's saying is what sets us apart within the church is all of those different parts make up one body. 
one single unified body that is intended to, to work together, to highlight each other, to complement each other. Think about even your familiarity with your own body, how it all works. It's intended to be in unison. So that's the example that he uses for what we're supposed to be as the church. And he describes what causes all of those parts to unite. You see it in the text. It says one spirit that we're all united under one spirit, that's how it is with Christ. One spirit means at the point of salvation, every single one of us that ex has accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us. We're baptized in us. That's what we demonstrate in baptism is this new life. We're born with a new spirit and every single one of us that is a follower of Christ, has that spirit inside of us. It's interesting because that's the uniting factor. And I think it's important to understand that no matter what nationality, background, that's the point Paul's making, which side of the tracks you were born on, slave free, doesn't matter. All of that is less important than the fact that we're united under one spirit. I think it's important that we notice here that it says we were all baptized. One, that he's talking to a group of believers that's not as if some were baptized and some not baptized, not some waiting to be baptized with the Spirit. It refers to it as all, and it also refers to it in past tense. So there's no confusion there as it being independent from salvation. So here's the thing that he's calling them towards, but the reason he's calling them towards that is because that's probably the farthest thing from the description that you'd give the Corinthian church at this point. So he's continuing along the, the lines of rebuke. And in fact, that's far from what the church is portraying to the world around them. Think about what they actually are portraying. We've already seen it in the book of Corinthians. Fractions over who's following who. Divisions over silly matters. Selfishness lack of self-control, misuse and mishandling of things that are sacred. You see, the church has wandered a long way from God's intent and design. But here's the truth of the matter before we're too judgmental of the church in Corinth. We have to consider the American church. Listen to those words again. Fractions, division, selfishness, lack of self-control. I would say that it's an indictment against the current church as much as it was the church back then. We need the same image repair, and that image repair starts with individuals. It starts by him working on us in our understanding of even how it's all supposed to work, because we can't get in line with his design until we understand what it is. We'll continue in verse 14. It says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Same theme we've talked about. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing if the whole body or an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God, this is important to understand, 
God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. All right, we'll stop there for a moment. This is an important discussion on spiritual gifts, how he's wired each person. I think it's important for us to have a clear definition of spiritual gifts. I actually like this definition. It says, capacities or abilities imparted to Christians by the Holy Spirit to enable them to exceed the limits of their finite humanity in order, this is important, to serve other believers to the glory of God. So it's abilities that's beyond our finite capabilities. It's stuff that we're entrusted with. It's a gift. That's an important part of our understanding. And so what's happening within the Corinthian church, and it's so easy to happen within present day church as well, is what they're doing is they're they're beginning to see the, the spiritual gifts on display within their body of believers. They're beginning to categorize them as preferred and unpreferred gifts. Preferred gifts, ones that they would desire to have and other ones that they're belittling. So there's the the danger because the strange thing is these gifts were something intended to serve each other, but instead they've become either a source of pride or discontentment. Do you follow what I mean by that? Either a source of, wow, look what I have this gift. I'm able to do this in God's power. Or a discontentment. Man, I, I wish that I had that gift. Again, before we're too quick to condemn, it's really easy to slip into gift envy. Remember some years back working at Willow Creek Community Church back in Chicago. There was a church, if you're not familiar with it, probably of 20,000 plus attenders. So a very large church. I was working with the Young Adults Ministry, which was a larger group there as well. But I remember being in the the worship center that they had. It would hold like six, 8,000 people at one time. And and seeing the the gifted communicators that they had, Bill Hybels, John Ortberg, and listening to them in front of these massive, massive audiences and being like, man, God has really gifted them. Wouldn't that be cool to have that kind of gifting? I remember that kind of processing through my mind. But here's the problem with gift envy. Gift envy keeps us from identifying our gifts and shaping them to what he's designed us perfectly to be. He hasn't designed all of us to be Bill Hybels or John Ortberg in that, set, in that setting in the same way not everyone is LeBron James in the secular world. But here's the thing. Paul's helping his audience to understand that each part is equally important. The foot can't wish it was an eye or vice versa. He's pointing out like if we're all a bunch of ears, that wouldn't work. We need the diversity, and each part is equally important. So here's the freedom that comes in understanding that, is that since our value is not attached to our gifting, we can simply embrace the gifting that you have and find contentment in God's design. Now, in other words, man, I can exhale. Be like, you know what? God made me 
exactly the way he wanted to make me, unique and with a particular set of gifts that I, that I lean towards, that I have a bent towards. And I can have contentment in that. I don't have to try to be somebody else. This idea that he never intended for us to all be the same thing. But here's the problem, is the sin nature resists the idea of living and dying unnoticed. Living and dying uh, unnoticed seems like an injustice. So some of us, when we're talking about being a part of the body, we're like, well, I'm not really content being a spleen. I don't really want to be a liver. I would rather be something that's more upfront and in, uh, on display. But there's freedom and contentment with being relatively unknown so that Jesus can get the highlight and get all the glory. That's the idea here, is our gifts were not intended to highlight us. Even if you think about it, that's kind of strange. If you're given a gift, what does that say about you? It says nothing about you. It's only about the giver of the gift. That's who our gifts were intended to highlight. So he's trying to get the Corinthian church back on track with understanding these concepts that that, that there's... Equally equal importance in all of the gifts. Continue in verse 21. It says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and on our unpres- unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the member may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. It's interesting. We're in a culture, if you think about it, that really celebrates kind of the the rugged individualism, the self-sufficient person that can do it all on their own. In fact, in America, it seems like they're no longer content with the idea of just having the white picket fence. Instead, We're trying as a a culture, each person trying to acquire enough wealth that they get to the place where they call that forget you money. Only they don't use that term forget you. They use a more graphic description in our culture. But the idea is this, you get to a place financially where you're completely self-reliant. You're completely self-sufficient. You get to the place where you no longer care about the opinions of others. You no longer have the need to tolerate others. You can move behind a gate and no longer have to deal with the world around us. You can, you can see that as a culture, as an invitation. But the ironic thing is, it couldn't be farthest from the way that God has designed us. You see, Satan has imparted this delusion of independence in the heart of man, but it's the opposite of what our heart longs for and from God's design. He wants us to be interdependent, where 
I need you and you need me. You may have noticed in this series that we're in, uh, we've, every week we've had the same image that kind of has run out and has this, uh, has this bicycle on it. But it's not just any bicycle, it's a, it's a tandem bike. And I don't know if you've ever had a, a chance to, to ride a tandem bike with somebody, but it's actually a, a unique exercise and partnership. When I was uh, growing up, my parents, uh, this was a really unique thing about my, my parents, is they actually had one of those bikes and they rode it around our neighborhood in Chicago together regularly. They, they were always out on a, on a tandem bike ride. Here's a picture of them from 1995. My sister helped me find this old photo. It's kind of a fun uh, way of looking back. It was one of those things that was such a cool tradition that actually my wife and I, when we first got married, we were like, let's get a tandem bike. So we picked up a, a tandem bike. It was a nice shiny red one in an Algonquin, Illinois. Adrian and I, you could find us zipping around the, the, the neighborhoods there in a tandem bike, kind of a, a fun thing. But what I am leaning towards, what I'm pointing to is the thing about a tandem bike is it doesn't work if only one person is doing it. It has to be a unison. It has to be an interdependence. The person's trusting the one steering. The person in the back needs to be pedaling in sync with the person in the front. It's kind of a, a cool way of almost a learning how to, how to work together in unity. I have this picture of that being what Paul's pointing to. He's saying the person that says, I have no need of you, you're like, that doesn't really work. We're a, a part of the body that even the, the pieces that seem less critical, man, sometimes they're the most critical. That's why he says the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Think about that practically speaking. A lot of times you don't realize something is critical till it's not working. Think, think about that. Think about your uh, intestines. Everything might be going great in your life, but if your intestines are messed up, everything fails. I remember being in Kenya on a missions trip some years back, and I picked up some kind of a, a parasite or whatever, ended up in a Kenyan hospital, which I don't necessarily uh, recommend. But what I realized in that is, man, when one part is not working right, nothing, none of the other parts matter. Because it's all interconnected. That's what Paul's using this example. He keeps going back to the same one through this entire section of the body. We need each other. We're, we're interdependent. You can't have one and expect to excel within the church. And here's the cool thing is Paul practiced what he preached. He wasn't the Lone Ranger. Uh, every one of his adventures that he was on, you always get pointed. Reading in uh, Romans, you can look back to him even summarizing. Thank you for this person that was along with me. This person that traveled with me. This person that helped support me. This person that did this. Is this always this interconnection because he understood what he's preaching here is interdependence being critical within the church. So my question for us, as we consider some of these things, how are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? Are we 
kind of moving towards the Lone Ranger lifestyle, just kind of hanging out on the fringe and not really following God's design of being like, no, you're intended to be part of this community. God's design wasn't for sideline people. It's not, it's not observers. Instead, he is looking for people that actually bring their gifts to the table that use them, that engage, that say, hey, how can I show up? How can I roll up my sleeves and serve? How can I invest back into this community? And at the same time, not being at such a distance that you're never receiving from the community as well. It's intended to work both ways and be a blessing for others and be a blessing for ourselves. That's God's design for the body of Christ, how it's intended to work. Maybe a little bit of self-reflection, asking yourself, am I that person? Or am I the person that treats church a little bit more like an event to attend rather than a community and a body to be a part? Finish with this last section. Really, I'm fascinated with how each section combats a pattern from our world. Take a look at this one. It says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Then he asks the question, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So again, addressing issues that have, that have arisen within this Corinthian church. Basically what's happening is similar to what happens today still is that whole idea of competition and comparison has snuck into the church. We're in a culture where we're surrounded with it. Man, the social media definitely doesn't help with that. Man, you're, you're seeing people's very best stuff put forward. You're comparing. You're saying, man, I wish my life was like that. I see the, uh, the, the, these images. Uh, man, I wish I looked like that. The comparison, the competition game sneaks even into the church as it relates to spiritual gifts. That, I, that idea that he's pointing to is people within the Corinthian church were trying to desire the more prestigious upfront gifts. And we're going to talk about some of those specific gifts more in a couple weeks here coming up as it continues in the dialogue. But here he describes what those gifts are. He describes the, the list of our, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers. He's saying, man, that, it, it can't work like that. It has to be division and a sharing of load. Not everybody gets to have the prestigious upfront gifts. And here's what I would say about that. For those that have maybe felt that struggle themselves, is sometimes upfront gifts aren't necessarily all they're cracked up to be. That's coming from somebody that has a gift of teaching, that has the, that placed on their life. And so that, that desire to, to have a gift, you're like, well, just know that that also comes with some challenge. That comes with a, a target on you. 
That comes with what scripture tells that you're gonna be held at, at a, a, for account for the words that are, are spoken. It tells you that, listen, this is, this is not a, an easy road to walk with kind of a spotlight on you. So this idea of, oh, I wish I had these other gifts, be careful what I, is what I would say for what you wish you necessarily had. Instead, is the route of contentment, of trusting that, hey, God gave me exactly the gifts that he wants me to have. There's no room for envy of others' gifts, but there's also no room to belittle your gift. It's easy to, to assume that something else would be great if you had it, but it's also easy to belittle your gifts to such a point where you're like, I don't even use them because it's not even necessary and it doesn't make a difference. That's the other danger of the other end of the spectrum. Here's the, the thing though. The truth is using your gifts determines, decides the type of life that you live. Your experience here in your 70, 80, 100 years on earth, that's determined by your use of gifts. You're like, well, pastor, what do, I, what, what do you mean by that? This past uh, Saturday, we had a men's, uh, a men's breakfast that was really cool. And there's a, a gentleman from our church that shared his testimony. And it really provoked some good conversation around the table afterwards. And really came out a lot of people uh, feeling a little bit spiritually blah, feeling a little bit uh, kind of in a, in a pattern, and a routine. And it got me thinking after that experience of how critical spiritual gifts and a ministry mindset are to having a life of a fulfilled, uh, or having a fulfilled life in Christ. You see, if you're not figuring out your gifts and figuring out how to use them for his glory and to bless and serve others, I'll tell you what, you're never gonna be somebody that's spiritually thriving. You tell me where in scripture we're pointed to just this idea of just having my own personal relationship with God and just grow in that relationship and really have no interaction with others. You're like, you just don't see that. Now, granted, you can, you can point for sure to the idea of John 15 that we're told to stay connected to the vine. But what is the outcome of that? So that you bear much fruit. So that. You have an impact, an influence on those around you. That's the intention of spiritual gifts. So for the person that's, that's wondering, man, why am I stuck in this funk? Why am I not breaking out? Why do I feel such a, a monotony? Man, if you're not on the, on the kingdom uh, plan, with, you're not trying to reach the lost, you're not trying to use your gifts, you're just staying at a distance from the church, man, I'll tell you, it's gonna be a tough road towards fulfillment, living that type of life. It's not a competition. It's the gift that we've been given is something that God's entrusted to us. And in his perfect intuition, he knew, he knew what was best for us. So here's the thing, we can't just take in, it's intended to come out as well. I Remember years and back at a at a camp, summer camp, hearing the illustration and the uh, the the pastor that was speaking, he had a, a a bucket of water and he had a sponge in his hand. And he used it as the sponge example. And he, he had this idea of what happens with water is if you have a sponge that you fill up with water, you leave it sit for a few days. What happens with that sponge? 
over time, it starts to pick up bacteria, whatever grossness is in the air. And that sponge, if you've ever had one that's just a little bit wet, what happens over time? It just starts to get kind of stinky and gross and kind of mildewy and, and bacteria all, all in it. And he said, but the opposite is if it's a sponge that gets wet, you squeeze it out, out uh, all over the place, then you fill it up with new fresh water, you squeeze it out. Man, that sponge, you can have the same sponge for the next 10 years. That's a great picture of what we're designed for in Christ, is we weren't intended to just receive and soak in, we're intended to be squeezed out and have an impact on blessing on those around us. So how does he wrap this up? Basically, he's saying, he's saying listen, he says, do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Now, hopefully you caught that as a verse that feels really out of place. You're like, wait a second, what is, isn't he saying the opposite of everything that he's just said of that no gifts are superior, we're to be content with the gifting that we've been given, don't covet other gifts, we have no control over our gifts, God decides them. So why does he say earnestly desire the higher gifts? I think that's an important interpretation there and for us to understand what's being said. I was digging into that a bit this week and basically in the Greek, it's one or two things being, being said there. It's either a command or a statement. If it's a command, it would go something like this. Covet the best showy gifts. That would be the command. If it's a statement, then it would be, but you are coveting the best showy gifts. So the idea, it's either a directive or it's saying that's the direction you are going. And there's concern attached to that. And to me, that makes a whole lot more sense in line with everything else that Paul has already said. So in essence, this is Paul saying, stop doing what you're doing where you cover, covet other gifts. Go the better route of unity and diversity within the church. As we'll see next week in the next section of scripture, all of that being based and coming out of the motivation of love. So he's charging us, man, enjoy the gifts that he's given us. Use the gifts that he's given us. Don't covet other gifts that others have. Instead, celebrate. Why would you celebrate? Because you're all part of the exact same body, being compelled by the exact same spirit with the exact same mission of glorifying our God. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we just come to you right now and we wanna have open hearts on this subject to be teachable, to not assume we have it all figured out, to leave room for growth for the person that's maybe listening right now and they do a little bit of heart check and they come to the conclusion that they're not really engaged in using their gifts. My prayer is this would be a catalyst for the adventure first of figuring out what their gifts are and then starting to find creative ways to put them in practice and seeing the fulfillment that will come from that. And when we're in our unique sweet spot, such an amazing thing. I'm so thankful, Lord, for the gifts that you've entrusted to us. 
the fact that you chose to include us in what you're wanting to be in this world, to be your hands and your feet. Man, what an amazing privilege. We again, thank you for this chance to be in your word and how much it teaches us. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks.